0: I can't tell you how much I enjoyed saying touch them all.
1: Way back and
0: gone! Touch them all, Joe Maurer! And now these guys are making it relevant to this year's Twins. Now, our two resident hardball nerds will attempt to touch them all on the week's news surrounding the Twins in MLB. Here's Phil Mackey and Derek Wetmore. Welcome to the Touch Them All podcast, where Derek Wetmore is once again down in Fort Myers, Florida, covering Twin Spring training for 1500 ESPN.com Phil Mackey here after getting like a foot and a half of snow dumped on us this weekend Uh, but if you're a Twins fan in the Twin Cities and you're depressed because it's that time of year weather-wise where you're just ready for it to be over and ready for baseball the Twins gave you a little jolt over the weekend not Eric Ibar which we can talk about too Derek Wetmore. but for the second weekend in a row last weekend it was Jake Odorizzi this weekend it was Logan Morrison on uh, an interesting contract that we can dive into but most importantly so he's 30 years old and he had a breakout season with Tampa Bay last year 38 home runs and was one of the best hitters uh, left-handed hitter against right-handed pitching in all of baseball so the twins added some major pop and they have him under contract for it's a club option for 2019 that kicks in automatically if he gets to 600 plate appearances. But for 2018, they're only going to pay like, was it five and a half or $6 million for a guy who hit almost 40 bombs last year. So uh, your your general thoughts, and then we can dive into maybe some 25-man roster ramifications and some other reckless speculation.
1: For sure, yeah. So my quick take is just that while it's a bit of a strange fit, I I don't think I started the offseason thinking Logan Morrison would make a great new member of the Minnesota Twins. Uh, It's a great ad, especially at the price that they're doing it at. This makes the lineup exceptionally deep, especially against right-handed pitchers. That's going to be a tough one through nine to get through for opposing righties. Morrison is an okay hitter against lefties last year, but he was great, like all-star caliber hitter against righties. And it's not exactly the piece that I think the Twins needed. I still think they could use some starting pitching, but at the price that they're paying while Capping the downside, like minimizing their risk, um, I think the Twins did exceptionally well in this signing.
0: So I actually, I, the way you phrased that, I, going into the off season, if you would have asked me, you know, do do the Twins need a big thumper, first base DH type, and I would have said need is a strong word. And I still think you're right. I don't think they needed a Logan Morrison, but if you're shopping through. And and you're at the the major league free agent store, and there's a clearance rack, and you already have, right. you know, Miguel Sano might be suspended, and Joe Mauer kind of had a bounce back season last year, but he doesn't give you a lot in the power department, and he's kind of just a league average hitter at this point. And Robbie Grossman, you and I are both probably way too high on Robbie Grossman compared to the average Twins fan, but he is a he is a big time on base guy, not a lot of power. Logan Morrison. Gives you the opportunity to hit a game-changing home run in the seventh, eighth, or ninth inning, and this franchise, outside of Miguel Sano, um, you know maybe Josh Willingham for a few years, it's pretty. Re- and you got to go back to Harmon Killebrew if you're talking about guys who hit 35 plus home runs or have the capability of doing that in uh, in a season. So. And I don't I don't think he's a guy that you're gonna lean on too much defensively because Joe Maurer for for my money is one of the top two or three defensive first basemen. So he's yeah. pretty much just slotted in as a thumper at DH and he's out there to maybe not replicate the thirty eight home run season he had last year, but he gives you just more assurances. And this this is kind of you know part of our pitching conversation too, Derek, in that if you're just looking at a twenty five man roster of the Astros or the Indians or pick your contender they don't have five guys at the end, two pitchers and three hitters that are in their lineup on a daily basis that you look at and kind of scratch your head. The Twins have had a lot of that over the past 10 years where all right, uh, I guess the DH today is going to be, you know, some platoon hitter that you're just hoping has a has a breakout from one side of the plate. They just, you know, they've done a bad job filling out depth pitching staff. They've had to lean on the Sam sure. Deduno's over the year to make 20 starts. So just adding the Jake Rizzis and the Logan Morrisons, maybe they're not going to have all-time career seasons again, but at least they give you professional, established players yeah. to 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 avoid having to turn to Kenny Vargas and be locked in for 600-plate appearances or, or something.
1: Yeah, well, so I think this probably spells the end of Kenny Vargas's time in the Twins organization. I think that the Twins did two things. With the Morrison signing and the Oderisi trade, they're both—it's—they're both the same in principle to me. What they're doing, and—and and that is that you're raising the overall—the overall bar of what your expectations are uh, for the for the position group, and by extension for the team. Uh, you're not only raising the bar, and Phil, you and I have talked about this in the past, but just in case we have uh, one new listener, uh, maybe my mom roped my dad into listening this week too, and that <laughs> is that. I think of baseball seasons in terms of a range of outcomes, like what could happen. So, so when people try to pin me down and say how many games will the Twins win this year, I frustrate them endlessly by saying um, somewhere between like seventy-five and ninety-one. There, of course, like, that's a stupid answer, but it's it's my answer, and I'm not being um, I'm not being facetious about it. I think of the same thing for hitters. I'm like, oh, Brian Dozier could be, like, if he stays healthy, 650 plate appearances, he could be, like, an 18 to 38 homer hitter. And people are like, come on, man, that's, like, such a wide range. But I just try to think of, like, what's the worst-case scenario? What's the best-case scenario? And in this case, with both Morrison and Odorizzi, I think that it raises what the best-case scenario is because they're just, like, good players. I mean, Odorizzi could be a three-win pitcher, and and Morrison could be a three-win hitter, for all we know. And they might be replacing
0: replacement-level players or worse.
1: Yeah, that's right. Well, Odorizzi probably is replacing sub-replacement value. I don't know about Morrison. That would... That would force me to denigrate Robbie Grossman, and I just can't move myself <laughs> to do that. So, um, so he's replacing one of the best hitters of all time. But what I what I look at is not only has it raised the overall, overall bar for the top and the bottom outcomes, it's also reduced the size of that window. It's brought the lower bar up, like. I think Kenny's Vargas has this range of outcomes where he could be a good power hitter in this league, or he could flame out and not be anything. Logan Morrison might not repeat his career best season, although I think he'd be a reasonable bet to do something similar. We talk about that. But if he doesn't repeat that, you know what the floor is. We've seen what the floor of Logan Morrison is. He's got a track record that's established that. So I think not only have they sort of upped the ante with what's the best case scenario, they've also minimized what would happen in like the worst case possible outcome. And so for a, for a low low cost of a one year salary with a vesting option and a low low cost of a low level shortstop prospect I think that those two upgrades are significant needle movers for 2018 and possibly for 2019 as well.
0: Yeah, so so I think the biggest question with Logan Morrison, and he's he's 30 years old, and it's it's pretty rare that a guy has that type of breakout season at that age with you know five or six mediocre years in the bag already. Uh, but you did see it with him. You saw it with Justin Smoke in Toronto. Actually, Toronto's done it with a few different guys. Edwin Edwin Encarnacion had a big breakout year late in his career with the Blue Jays, and he hasn't looked back. And obviously, Jose Batista. So, I mean, it it, 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 does. Well, Josh Donaldson was awesome in Oakland, but took an even bigger step with Toronto. Uh,
1: Let me ask you, Phil. Do you think just point blank? Do you think this is the new Logan Morrison? Do you think he can repeat that season?
0: I think he's reached a new level. I don't I don't know if I would guarantee 38 home runs. So sure. so he has been it's it's hard just to go off counting numbers with him because he's kind of bounced around as a He's been with Marlins, Mariners, even with the Rays for the first year. He was more of a platoon guy. Last year was the first year that I, I believe that he really started to rake against left-handed pitchers, too, not sure. to the degree that he did against righties. But I saw this tweet from our buddy Rhett Bollinger, MLB.com, who dove into the stat cast data. Yeah. And this is how you know there's a fundamental shift in his approach at the plate that gives you optimism. And the, and the Twins obviously aren't oblivious to this. There's a reason why they've... You know, There's a reason why they've shown interest in him beyond just 2018. Uh, And Rhett tweeted that Logan Morrison benefited by changing his swing mechanics to get the ball in the air more, which is something you're hearing a lot of around baseball among hitters, increasing his launch angle from 12 degrees in 2016 to 17 degrees last year, which may not seem like a lot, but that's a huge difference in how many fly balls you hit and how many warning track-ish shots you hit and uh, his home runs went from 14 to 38. His, if you just look at his batted ball data, and this is kind of a math game for people who listen to our podcast and maybe they're not quite into the advanced stats or they think that, like, sabermetrics are just sort of make-believe, Logan Morrison is a great example of why digging beneath the surface, going, th- going farther than just the back of a baseball card is beneficial here. Um, he went from... 35% fly balls in 2016 to 46% fly balls last year. Let's take that a step further, Derek. He went from 92 fly balls in 2016 to 169 fly balls last year. So if you're hitting the ball in the air an extra 75 or 80 times in a full season, yes, there's going to be a lot of pop-outs. And yes, there's going to be you know, little flares that count as fly balls. But there might also be an extra 15 or 20 that go over the fence or off the wall or yeah. in a gap somewhere. So he obviously made a fundamental shift in his approach and said, I'm not going to and you can flip it around, too, with the ground ball rate. He went from 45 percent ground balls to 33 percent, which over mm-hmm. the course of six or 650 plate appearances in six months, that's what gets you from 14 home right. runs to 38. It's, it's just a, it's a number crunching game.
1: Yeah. So I think of Morrison as like the NBA player who got to the midpoint of his career and was like, well, this isn't working. I'm a bench player. I'm struggling to crack the rotation. So he added a skill. And in Morrison's case, it's hitting home runs, which is a good skill to add for a baseball player. For a basketball player, it'd be like adding the three-point shot for a, for a big man. And not only is he taking more three-point shots, I'm going to take us another step with that math there too but not only is he taking more three-pointers he's hitting them at a better rate so yeah. I wrote about this in my five thoughts column uh just the kind of quick turn analysis of the move before Morrison even passes his physical or uh gets outfitted for a twins uniform or picks his number and all that fun stuff meets his teammates um we're talking about fly ball rate and home run per fly ball which I know is a stat you're familiar with phil give me that number again in 2016 how many fly balls did he hit
0: in in so two years yeah so two years ago he hit let me see here uh, 92 fly balls now he had a lot okay. more plate appearances in 2017 but sure. he had a lot more plate appearances because he was a lot better yeah <laughs> I mean, that's well fact
1: and the volume score thing doesn't really apply here i'll just go based on rates because yeah, if you're playing 28 minutes a game, you'll score more points than the guy who's getting 12, even if the 12-minute is hyper-efficient. That's just well, or just and, and,
0: and I would even say, like if, you've, if you decided before the season that you're going to be a better three-point shooter, not only are you going to attempt more because you're just making an effort to shoot more threes, but you're going to attempt more because you're making more, because sure. you're, yes. you're seeing a correlation of success.
1: Yeah, so he had 90, What? sorry, I, I messed this up again, 96 uh, 90, 92
0: total fly balls in okay. 2016, and 169 of them last year.
1: So ni- 92 in 2016, and the, his home run per fly ball rate, which is a stat, I like to look at it. Sometimes it's just statistical noise, and you can be like, you can have Eduardo Escobar just pop up and randomly have a great home run per fly ball rate, only to regress the next year, but... I think in Morrison's case, it also shows a step forward, or it's illustrative of his step forward, which uh, 90-some fly balls, and he hit 15% of them over the fence. Well, yeah. even accounting for the extra plate appearances that he had last year, he had, was it, 169 in 2017, and he upped that home run per fly ball rate from 15% to almost 23%. So, so think
0: about that. So you... So that's basically one in every four or five fly balls hit over the fence. Goes out.
1: Yep. <laughs> and if that's the that's case, if you're able to do that over 600 plate appearances, you'd better be trying to hit as many fly balls as you can. Yes. Now. I'm not an NBA player. I can't hit three-pointers. I'm also not a major league player. I can't hit home runs. But those are super valuable skills.
0: You did stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night.
1: Uh, That's a stretch, too. Um, But there are skills that teams are paying for, and players know it. And I guess I'm arguing against myself there because clearly – Not many teams were willing to pay for Logan Morrison's breakout. We could talk all day long about the slow-moving free agent market and resulting trade markets and all that stuff, but suffice it to say there are really only 20 teams trying to win right now and to varying degrees. Um, And and the Twins, of course, are one of them, and they apparently had the most need or were willing to go the – whatever the extra mile was to get a Logan Morrison contract done. I think the contract looks really good. And I think it also underscores a point that I've talked about before on the podcast that is just important to repeat. And that is that a team like the twins, which you and I have said, we kind of think of him in, in the low eighties, maybe mid eighties for wins. That's either on the outside looking in or a lucky wild card team in that window you should be hyper, hyper motivated to add good players to your roster. Logan Morrison fits that bill. The Dodgers, if they're going to win 100 games without adding Logan Morrison, not a whole lot of incentive to go out and spend the money. Same token, other side of the coin, though, the Chicago White Sox, if you're going to win 60 games, there's not a whole lot of incentive to go spend money and make your roster better and get a worse draft pick, like if we're being cynical about the whole tanking approach in baseball. For a team like the Twins that are right there and that a good player or two could really change the outcome of a season from non-playoffs to playoffs, that's where the motivation should be at its highest, and that's why I'd argue, hey, you've done a great job improving your roster this winter, and it makes a lot of sense to go at a guy like Lance Lynn right now and just sort of finish the job and make yourself a postseason team.
0: So let's, all right. Yeah, and we and, and by the way, I believe you uh, you repurposed some of our you're, – you're joining our radio show on a daily basis from Hammond Stadium. And we had – late in the week, we had some good, reckless Lance Lynn speculation. And I think there's a lot of interesting steam there. John Heyman was at Twins Camp this week, and he coincidentally wrote a big piece the very next day about how Lance Lynn could be the final piece to the puzzle for the Twins. Uh, I have it from our buddy Doogie. We were texting back and forth today. He's been digging on – what the Twins might still do at starting pitching, he says he has it on really good authority. The Twins made a lowball offer to Lance Lynn, like a two-year deal that was kind of just laughed at. But hey, he's still sitting out there, and spring sure. training has started, so you might as well go and say, I don't know, I don't know how many teams have offered you a deal. Here's two years, ten million. Here's two years, fifteen million. I I, I think Lance Lynn's going to wait until he gets something in the three-year, at least ten million dollar a year range, but. Um, I I think even without signing a Lance Lynn or an Alex Cobb, this has been a really, really good offseason for the Twins. Let's talk more about that in a second here. And also, I want to run a 25-man roster projection by you after this Logan Morrison signing and get your thoughts on kind of the bottom two or three spots. But uh, before we do anything else, Luther Brookdale Toyota is one of the proud sponsors of our content here on the All podcast and the Mackie and Judd show. And we thank them for being partners with 1500 ESPN. And, you know, if you're driving around in the Twin Cities and once again you get dumped on with this weather and 15 inches of snow or whatever the heck it was over the weekend, I recommend if you're not in a four-wheel drive vehicle right now, The brand new 2018 RAV4s, not only with four-wheel drive, but all kinds of upgraded safety features. Uh, We're getting to the point where the cars are driving you much more than the other way around. And uh, the safety features on these Toyotas are no different. So, upgraded Interior technology, upgraded safety features, new sleek look, spaciousness of an SUV, handling of more of a Camry Corolla, and, of course, the best service department in the Twin Cities. Luther Brookdale Toyota, 694 on Brooklyn Boulevard, and LutherBrookdaleToyota.com. So by my calculation here, if you add in... Uh, the, the the minimum wage guys, the pre-arbitration guys, the Twins are going to have, even without signing anybody else, and I still think they have room to sign a Lance Lynn or an Alex Cobb-Derek, it's going to be the highest payroll in team history. They spent $113 million on the opening day payroll in 2011 on a 99-loss team. Uh, the end-of-year 40-man payroll was up in the 120 or $123 million range the last couple of years. So there's obviously if you add a piece in the middle of the season, you make a trade, whatever it is, uh, your payroll can go up. I think they've done a great job, even before we get into Lance Lynn, of, of just adding key pieces to the roster, upgrading the bullpen. This won't show up in team payroll, but they've also spent several million dollars on just beefing up their internal scouting and analytics and front office departments, and upgrading their systems, both people systems and uh, technological systems. So they've put a lot of money and resources into just bolstering a team that already made uh, a playoff appearance last year, Logan Morrison, Jake Odorizzi, uh, Reed, Rodney, and Duke in the bullpen. And then you've got Eric Ibar, who's been a very good utility-type player who can play up the middle. He's only 34 years old. Um, like he might make the team Michael Pineda might not pitch until September or next year but you've got him as a flyer for 2019 Anibal Sanchez as a flyer you're not no longer are the twins leaning on the flyer guys to to break out and miraculously save their season they signed five established good track record players and then sprinkled in some flyer guys and I think they should still go get Lance Lindnerick.
1: Mm-hmm. I agree with you I think that They're the team that's sort of stuck in that middle 80 win mark. And look, I like all of the signings because I don't think that there's a big downside to any one of them. Like, look, look, we could, we won't waste the listeners' time with this, but if we wanted to, you can go through every single signing and ask me what's the worst case scenario. And it's not that bad. There's not like, okay, Fernando Rodney blows up in the closers' role, and you got to move him for Addison Reed in the middle of May. It's like, all right, well that stinks because you probably cost yourself some wins along the way, but it's not disastrous financially, and that's the case for every single one of these. You can't you can't really spell out the worst case scenario and have it be doomsday. It's it's just uh, okay. We'll take the L on that contract and and move on. Uh, so anyway, they put themselves in good flexibility, good position. Even with all of that being said. I still think they're looking up at the Indians in the American League Central. I still think the Indians are the team to beat. Uh, Keep in mind how much better they were than the Twins last year. It gets lost a lot of times, but, you know, the Twins won 85 games. That's good. Good for you. Good effort. Made the playoffs. The Indians won 102 games, and then they lost some pieces. Carlos Santana signed with the Phillies. They lost uh, Shaw. They lost Joe Smith. It's like some meaningful wins were taken off of their roster but they still won 102 games last year they are legitimately one of the super teams in the american league and i think the twins still have a ways to go to catch them so then phil i start looking around at the rest of the al and i say okay the yankees and the red sox are both pretty good in the east one of those teams going to win the division the other one's going to be a wild card then you look out west and you say the astros are the defending champs and they got better and the Angels are sneaky good now. What's going to happen? The Mariners, one of those teams. So I don't know exactly if these moves will pay off if the Twins don't make another move. But I think the Twins have put themselves in a really good position to, let's say you start the season with this. Let's say uh, your embarrassing low ball offer to the final piece to the puzzle, Lance Lynn, is, uh, is not taken. And he goes to sign with the Brewers on a three-year contract. Well, Okay. You're still a good team, you're still competitive on a nightly basis. you're gonna mess around with that wild card picture and if it goes according to plan, then you're still in things in July and that's when you can really swing uh, swing deep and, and try to add an ace of some caliber. I, I think the twins have loaded up well enough on prospects that they could make a win now move because uh, none of these none of these uh, moves that they've made, like I said, have really jeopardized the future if they don't work out. Uh, There's really only one bad contract on the books right now, I'd say, and that's Phil Hughes. If you get anything out of him this year, extra bonus points, that's gravy, and now suddenly you've got a pretty formidable starting rotation. I'm not banking on Hughes. I think even without him, you've got a pretty good team that might be worthy of adding to at the trade deadline at this point.
0: Yeah, I I think they've set themselves up now. They shouldn't have a problem scoring runs. Eddie Rosario's season last year was not a fluke because he cut so far back on the strikeouts. I think Byron Buxton takes a step forward. Logan Morrison helps take away from any blow that you might have losing Miguelson now. So I think they're going to score runs. I think Jake Odorizzi helps you get outs. Uh, your bullpen's not going to be as big of a question. Uh, the reason why I, I I I'm stuck on this Lance Lynn thing because <laughs> you know b- before the elbow so injury they. and yeah, well I mean it's. We're, we're to the point now where if you're a hitter, you can still afford to sit out because you can face live pitching on your own. You can just go, you know, go find a former major leaguer and go face some live pitching. But you can't face a lineup full of professional hitters if you're if you're sitting out there as a you know free agent starting pitcher. You got to get into a camp here pretty soon. So I think the leverage for the teams goes up now that spring training games have started. When it comes to pitcher negotiations and before the okay. surgery that knocked him out for a year, Lance Lynn. Was twentieth among starting pitchers between the four-year stretch of 2013 and 2016, uh, or I'm sorry, 2012 and 2016. Uh, he was he was twentieth in wins above replacement. He was right around twenty-fifth or so in earned run average. And I get that it's the National League, but I just he he comes from a pitching-rich organization. You know that his you, you absolutely know that his process is rock solid and sound. Um, he he comes from a background of big time postseason games that have tested his nerves, and a lot of key September starts, even bullpen appearances in the early part of his career against the Rangers in the World Series in 2011. So I just I I think he could add a lot. I I agree with you that the peripherals. Just if if you just look at last year, the peripherals would suggest that Alex Cobb is the better starting pitcher. I think their career and the and the totality of their resume would point me a little bit toward Lance Lynn. Home runs given up were the big problem for Lance Lynn last year, yeah. and so maybe he can come back another year removed from surgery. The velocity didn't really go down. Maybe he can cut back on some of those home runs, but like you could point to almost any pitcher in baseball and say that home runs were a problem sure. in 2017 because there's never been more home runs hit before. So yeah. that's my little spiel on on Lance Lynn, and I, I think we're to the point where if you can offer him a healthy three-year contract, and if it doesn't work, it doesn't cripple you that much because Joe Mauer's right. $23 million come off the books. Yeah. Irvin Santana's not going to reach you know, the the vesting option, so his contract comes off the books. You can afford to do it, and then your rotation going into the season would be Jose Barrios, Lance Lynn, Jake Odorizzi, Irvin Santana probably in May, and then a Kyle Gibson or whoever the hell wants to take that fifth spot. That is a great start to a playoff caliber rotation. And if you want to add somebody else at the trade deadline, you're sure. welcome to do that too. I, I, I really think this is an opening to be aggressive.
1: Well, and it's uh yes. Agreed. I'm curious to see how it plays out for the first, like two, three months, because we haven't mentioned guys like Alberto Mejia. We talked about Phil Hughes, but you didn't just put him in your rotation. Uh, Michael Pineda probably won't start a game this year. If he comes back, it's as a reliever. I'm, I'm kind of looking more towards 2019 with him, but here's another guy that doesn't get talked about at all. And I think he has a shot to be one of the best pitchers in on the team. And that's Trevor May. I mean, he doesn't come back probably till June one is, is what it sounds like. But you know, if you can bank on, I don't know, 15 or 20 starts from him, I really think he has a chance to be a difference maker for the twins. Uh, Big question is durability. So I'm not going to go, go make some sort of reckless hot take on that or anything, but, don't sleep on trevor may and then uh the other thing i'll say before we get to your bullpen point is like there's not a i guess i just want to say that i agree with your take that it's fine to play it cool right now if you're the twins i think i wrote a column when camp started that Everyone was talking about, oh, the free agents must be getting nervous. They must be starting to sweat a little bit. Don't you want to know if you're going to Florida or Arizona? And I say, yeah, that's fine. Like if I'm Jake Arrieta, I'm probably curious where I'm going to go pitch and where I'm going to make millions and millions of dollars or, or if I'm going to have to take some sort of huge pay cut and, uh, uh, in relation to my perception of myself and maybe look myself in the mirror or if I'm Scott Boris, maybe look myself in the mirror and say, ah, wow, well – Uh, reality sucks sometimes. Um, But I also thought at the time that the Twins should be doing that same thing. They should have been panicking that they didn't have enough starting pitching, that they were going to be stuck with a starting rotation that was banking on tons of innings from Irvin Santana and Phil Hughes and Adalberto Mejia and Aaron Sleggers. And I like Sleggers. I think he's going to be a good depth option. But, you know, if that was your starting five, you weren't feeling as good about it. Now, today, after the Odorizzi trade, I think that you got to be feeling quite a bit quite a bit more at peace with where things stand so now you're operating from a place of uh, it would be a luxury to add and a nice luxury definitely we talked about the motivation for those fringe playoff teams to really be hyper motivated to make moves but You're no longer acting from a position of desperation, which I thought you would be at the beginning of spring training. Now it's more like a position of strength, a position of power where the Twins can say, all right, here's a big money contract over two years for Lance Lynn. We don't have any luxury tax concerns. Let's get this thing done. Um, I, I think that you're in a spot where you could afford to mess around and get a little creative with that as you improve the, the roster at the periphery. I think. Yeah, I mean, it, it shouldn't go without saying that they do have some good depth, Phil, but like, it's like a fantasy football team. You can have a lot of good players, and if some of them are sitting on your bench, they can't add wins to your roster. For the Twins, depth is a fine thing for starting pitching, but it's still that top end that I think leaves something to be desired when you compare it with teams like the Indians, the Astros, uh, the Dodgers, and other teams like
0: that. Yep, that's a that's a valid point for sure, especially in even the Red Sox with Chris Sale is yes. at the top of their rotation and yep. and you can play that game. I want to float by you. So, uh tw- it's a it's kind of a half 25 man roster projection. I'm going to just slot 12 pitchers in and we can talk about that at a later time. Sure. 13 hitters. Now that Logan Morrison is on the team, 13 hitters. I think there's 11 locks on the roster and then Like, five guys battling for two spots. I'm going to rattle this off, and you tell me. You're down there. You're covering this thing, so you tell me if I'm way off here, all right? Okay. I think it's Logan Morrison, Joe Maurer, Brian Dozier, Jorge Polanco, Miguel Sano. Let's just say he's not suspended. Just Miguel Sano. um, Jason Castro, Mitch Garver, Byron Buxton, Eddie Rosario, Max Kepler, Eduardo Escobar, I think those are your eleven locks. Okay. And then there's two openings to fill out the rest of the position players between these five guys. Robbie Grossman, Ira Adrianza, Zach Granite, Eric Ibar, who they just signed over the weekend, and then Kenny Vargas still exists. Yes. <laughs> so he is so he's person. so he's one of the five. Right. I don't at this point, like I don't know if there's I'd rather have Robbie Grossman over Kenny Vargas Oh, because yeah. I think I think Robbie Grossman, you know, for a fact that he's going to get on base at like a three seventy clip and you can put him in the outfield if you need to. So, yeah, so he's so Kenny Vargas is not only in a battle for, you know, a roster spot, he's like in a battle for on the outside looking in. He's not even if this was Joe Lenardi's roster bracketology, he's not even one of the last four out or no <laughs> first four out or whatever it is.
1: I don't think he's a bubble team in this case. I think that if everyone stays healthy through camp, this is the end of Kenny Svargas in a twins uniform. Um, maybe you find a trade partner for him. I don't know that anybody'd even give up like a low A baller or something. Uh
0: yeah.
1: and that's weird, right? Because he could go be somebody starting D H and hit thirty home runs this year, and that wouldn't surprise me.
0: Right. But, but the thing is, I mean, hitting thirty home runs is no longer as right. big of a deal as it was even five years ago. It's just yeah. not Eduardo Escobar hit 20 home runs last year. It's crazy.
1: Yeah. And so I think that there's, like, he gets dinged because he doesn't really have a position. I don't think he's that good at first base, especially not when compared with Joe Maurer. Um, He has some power, but he's just streaky. And I know streaky hitter can be a cliche, but, you know, his final numbers at the end of the year are just not that good. You don't, if you don't add any positional value, then you really need to hit, like, mad lights out. And Vargas just doesn't do that. His, his line is a good hitter, but not good when you compare it with other guys who only bring a bat to the ballpark every day. Like, you have to be Edgar Martinez or David Ortiz, and he's not that. Yeah. I don't think there's any hope of him being that. I did talk to somebody uh, this spring who would know way better than I would, who said that you give Vargas 550 plate appearances, he will hit. He'll be a monster for you. But uh, if you're the Twins, I think that's too big of an if. I think that barring any injury in camp, the first person I cut from that list of five would be Kenny Vargas. And uh, I like him as a guy. He's a good person. He dealt with adversity a lot last year when he was just on the AAA Rochester shuttle back and forth. But I don't like him enough as a person to – make a downgrade to the roster to take Kenny Vargas, the player. So it's too bad um, for, for Kenny's and for the twins. But I just, I just don't see there being a good fit with him now. He just, he doesn't do enough things on a baseball field to, uh, to even, uh, you know, I'd rather have, I think Eric Ibar at this point, at least he gives you some positional flexibility. So that's, that's probably the easiest of those five cuts for me.
0: Yeah, so so okay, let's take him off the board then. So two spots left, and Eric Ibar, Ira Adrianza are your. So it's basically like which outfielder and which infielder would you keep? So Zach yeah. Granite, correct? Correct me if I'm wrong here, but Zach Granite has minor league options left. Yeah, for sure. So, so so that's pretty easy. Now he's by far the superior defensive outfielder between him and Robbie Grossman. Yes. So it kind, of, but but Robbie Grossman. I don't think you can just send him to the minor leagues. You'd have to put him through waivers. You'd have to say goodbye to the on-base machine that yes. is Robbie Grossman. I so, think I would. I think it'd be Robbie Grossman and Ira Adrianza for me. Yeah, me too.
1: And and it does take some thought. Um, and let's throw this conspiracy theory out there too. If Miguel Ceno is not going to start the season with the Twins, then Escobar is your third baseman, and you probably need another utility infielder, which. It'd be nice if they add one. Oh, they did add one. Oh, Eric Ibar. Okay. Well, that's yeah. an interesting solution to that potential problem. I don't know that's going to happen, Phil, but it's a possibility. And now the twins are guarded against that possibility. So I'd rather have Ibar than Vargas, but I'd rather have Adrianza than Ibar um I and no, he's I younger. haven't seen yeah yes and and a better hitter and I really like his glove at three different positions he's I don't think he's quite Nick Punto level at third short and second base but he's that type of player where you're like okay he's probably our best fielding shortstop. he's probably our best fielding third baseman and I know Brian Dozier won the gold glove at second base but he might have a case there too so like that's a valuable player to have, and the Twins paid him this winter just like they paid Escobar. So I don't see either one of those two guys getting cut. If if they were going to, they would have made that decision already. I just don't sense that's what's going to happen. So you got those two utility guys, talking about Escobar and Adrianza. I like Grossman quite a bit more than I like Vargas. Um, and then uh, who was the f- fourth bench player? Oh, oh and uh, I like Yeah, I like Grossman overall as a player better than Granite um, just because of what the Twins need. I will say uh, you don't need very many uh, late-inning defensive replacements with the trio of Rosario, Buxton, and Kepler. Maybe Mm -hmm. Kepler gets lifted for a pinch hitter late in games or something, and then you've got a trot. Either like an Adrianza see, or see, Grossman that's what it would be. There.
0: Like if yeah. if uh, Kepler, if you don't want Kepler facing a nasty bullpen lefty, yeah, Grossman comes in to pinch hit, or even I let, let's say yeah, let's say Grossman comes in to pinch hit. And True. then I guess, you because Adrianza played some corner outfield, then you could just shift yeah. guys. You could put Rosario in right and Adrianza in left or something.
1: Yeah, and it's not great, and that's the other reason. Like, Robbie Grossman's kind of a weird fit for this roster now, too. If he's not going to be the starting DH, because Morrison is, eh, Grossman doesn't have, like, an obvious path to playing time for me. Um, maybe you look to trade him, but I think uh, as a – as an unabashed biased Robbie Grossman guy who thinks he's a way better hitter than he gets credit for. I think that Grossman has more value to you than he would in trade talks. And you're just not going to get anything for a guy who just runs up a 360 on base with a good walk rate. Like that's, it's probably not that valuable of a skill on the trade market. So If you had to choose between Granite and Grossman for what this roster needs, personally, I'm taking the bat over the glove and the speed. Uh, That's not to say I don't think Zach Granite will be a good player, because I think he can be, but he's just sort of, he he doesn't really add a ton on the roster fringes for the handful of defensive innings he'd get and the two starts a week maybe in the outfield. I just think for that type of player and for somebody who can play some DH and you know draw a walk late in a game or something like that i I think grossman is the mathematical play um with that being said who knows i am i publish the 25 man roster projection every single year phil and so far i'm over my lifetime i have not hit one (laughs) 25 out of 25 just yet and and that will continue this year because somehow Jake torizi did not sneak onto my 25 man i did a (laughs) month ago
0: See, like, okay, maybe I've got my Robbie Grossman beer goggles on with you here, but he over the last two years, his OPS plus is uh, is one eleven. Yeah, so he's just like well above. Even with offense on the rise, he's just well above a league average offensive player. He's a great. And I hitter. could just, I just. Well, great is a strong word. He's, he's a, a very good he's, hitter. <laughs> he's a, okay, he takes great at-bats. He's effective. He gets on base at a high yeah. percentage. He gets on base almost 40, 37% of the time the last two years, which is yeah. I think that's probably the highest on the team among anybody the last two years combined. And I can just envision him... Coming in in some key situation in a late September game or a one-game wild card, you know, 3-2 to two and the Twins need a guy to get on base, and just grinding out a 9-pitch, 11-pitch yes. at-bat and drawing a key walk by taking a pitch just just below the kneecaps or something. I mean, I, well, I think there's something there that's worth, and he's only 28. Right. Um, it's worth like exploring bloring another year with him. Today. Yeah,
1: I think I think Robbie Grossman is a better player than he gets credit for. Um, I think the counterpoint to that, and we'll, we'll no doubt have listeners, and respectfully I'll just disagree right off the bat, we'll no doubt have people that say they want Kenny's Vargas up in that spot so that he can run into a three-run homer. And I'll just say, in terms of their approach at the plate and their understanding of their swing and their ability to get on base and do the most important thing offensively, which is to avoid outs, Robbie Grossman is just better. He's, like, the math just favors Grossman. Um, yes, Vargas could hit a home run, but, like, I don't think the percentage of times that he hits a home run makes up for the percentage of times he strikes out looking bad in the process. So not also, that I do think...
0: Go ahead. Oh, yeah. Oh, I mean, we're all, just, like, you and I are just literally standing up on stage preaching to the same choir here, but um, <laughs> I, I think... I think so first of all, people overrate anyone who would defend Kenny Vargas and his potential. I think overrate how often they think he hits home runs too, even even in the sure. minor leagues. Yeah. You know, he's never had, and I know that a lot of these are partial stops, but he has never had a stop where he's hit twenty home runs in a season. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the most he's had, now he's had combined, where like last year he hit fifteen in eighty-two games for Rochester, and then. Uh, and then he hit 11 for the Twins, so 26 homers in 160 games. Yeah. But to me, I don't know if there's a player in the major leagues with a wider gap between how few home runs they hit and how many home runs you think they're going to hit based on what they look like when they're standing at the plate. <laughs> sure.
1: Yeah, well, and how far they hit it in batting practice. I mean, Yeah. I'm not trying to take away the fact that Kenny Vargas has real plus raw power. I mean, he is... You watch him in batting practice, if he wasn't on the same team as Miguel Sano, Vargas would be the guy that you buy batting practice tickets for. But that doesn't matter to me. I, I, You can only scout batting practice so much. At a certain point, you have to say, what does he do in games? How is he right-handed? How is he left-handed? What do pitchers do to try to exploit his weaknesses? And I just think there are too many of those that Vargas is kind of on the outside looking in. I, I will say, Phil, that it's... Really late in the game here to be talking trades, so I don't think it's very likely. But the Twins have such an awkward roster construction right now, given the sort of redundancy what Logan Morrison adds. Maybe it makes sense to see, hey, is there a team that needs a Robbie Grossman or a team that needs a Zach Granite even for that matter? I think he's a good player. Um, I don't think there are contenders that are looking for that right now, and if they were, they could have easily gotten something on the free agent market that would have added those wins. But uh, I just think it's a, it's an unusual mix, and right now you probably just take advantage of the guys that have minor league options, the guys that have that flexibility. So for me, that means Zach Granite's on the outside looking in, and uh, if you can't find a trade partner, this just might be the time that you have to say goodbye to Kenny Vargas.
0: Yeah. All right. We have, uh, I'm sure, a lot more to discuss here this week, and so... Let's just stop the conversation here for now until they sign Alex Cobb or Lance Lynn or trade for Chris Archer on like Tuesday. Okay. All and right. We can which, we can dive into more stuff after that. Which
1: rank those. <laughs> which of those would be the most likely in your contention?
0: I'm gonna buy I'm gonna buy on the Lance Lynn's team. Okay. I think the I think the fact that they've already made him an offer, even though it was a low ball offer, and mm-hmm. and the fact that John Heyman clearly heard from somebody in the know with the twins that they like Lance Lynn enough to be engaged in conversations sure you know it'd be be one thing if they had tied up all of this money long term but they've done such a good job adding pieces for reasonable prices and contracts i'm going to say if there is a move to be made it's it's lance lynn sometime by the end of the work week
1: i think lynn is more likely than cobb i think archer is more likely at the deadline than in the off season so that's that's where i'm going to come down And, and i will say too I'm not blind to the fact that uh, John Haman seems to nail every Scott Boris scoop right on the head. So uh, hard to know which side of that equation that uh, the Lance Lynn steam is coming from, from John Haman. But let's just say I think that the, the fact that he was in Twins camp might be a coincidence more than a driving force for, uh, for a Lance Lynn report. Um, right on. Uh, a final thing, because we will talk about this at length. Uh, I'll be joining you on the radio this week, and we'll definitely have another touch' em all podcast. Um, but for Cobb, Lynn, or Arietta, the twins would have to give up their number seventy five draft pick. And I guarantee you that that plays into their math, their uh, their analysis to say whether this player is worth it or not. I don't think it's a game changer. I don't think you'd draw a hard line in the sand if you're the twins and say, no, we will not sign, you know, Jake Arietta because he costs us a draft pick. But I promise you it plays into their thinking because number 75 overall pick, if you do it right, it should be a pretty good prospect, uh, somebody that you can count on in the minors. And and that's further trade ammo. So, uh, yeah, long way of saying I'm not writing off a possibility that one of those big three is wearing a twins uniform by the end of this week.
0: Yeah, it's a valid point, and if you want more of Derek's valid points in written form, you can find them on 1500ESPN.com, and also subscribe to his email newsletter, too. Oh, and the other cool thing we have, just since we're doing cheap plugs, and chances are, if you're still listening, you've either fallen asleep or you really do like us, in which case, if you haven't yet checked out the new 1500ESPN mobile app, it's a game-changer. We've upgraded it in the last six months for both... Uh, Apple phones and also for uh, for Droids so you can find it in the Google store in the Apple store and the best part is we will alert you of any breaking news so if the if the twin sign Lance Lynn you'll be the first ones to know it'll just be an alert that pops up on your phone via the 1500 ESPN mobile app and you can find all of our 1500 ESPN podcasts including touch them all and get rewarded for listening live to the radio with like free dinners and contests and things like yeah. that so check it out it's pretty it's pretty badass
1: Sweet. Uh, Phil, I will talk to you later this week on the radio. And listeners, you will be hearing from me later this week uh, in a podcast without Phil. And in that one, I'll be welcoming a special guest who, let's just say, has some pretty good insight into what the Tampa Bay Rays are doing and plenty of Jake Odorizzi and Logan Morrison analysis on that one. I'm really looking forward to that podcast. Uh, Sorry, Phil.